0: LegalizeFreedom.com
1: Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and my guest today is Thomas Sheridan, who joins me to discuss the history. An evolution of alternative media, marking 10 years of legalized freedom. Hello and welcome, Thomas, and thank you so much for joining us once again on legalizefreedom.com.
0: It's great to be here, Greg, and well done on a decade in alt media. You're one of the few long-term survivors, and that's a fantastic thing. I'm delighted to be here and honored to celebrate that phenomenal legacy with you.
1: Thank you so much. You were the first person I thought of, really, and as I said to you off air, I'm not really sentimental, but I thought April 1st, 2012 is when I went out with my first show, and uh, so April 1st, 2022, I just thought I should at least mention the fact, you know. (laughs) Funnily enough, the the first show I did was entitled uh, World Economic Meltdown 2012. It was with a guy, a financial analyst called Alistair MacLeod, so a very dry topic, you know, economics, and um, I was just reflecting on the fact at the time that the financial crisis, the big blow-up, you know, 2007, 2008, that the repercussions were still being felt, although that the mainstream were telling us that that was all over with, and it seems so tame now, um, considering everything that's happened in the meantime, in terms of geopolitics and world events, you know, to be worrying about sort of a little blow-up, you know, <laughs> in the financial sector. Yeah.
0: Yeah. nostalgic I'm nostalgic about all that stuff uh you know it's the we still functioned as a society even when that was going down i did a i think the first time i met you was on the financial terrorism tour with you our and you know it, that was all talk of the time was this whole thing of a financial impending implosion it was people like nat matt kaiser was saying this and lots of others and Ireland was being bailed out by the IMF and it seemed like the end of the world at the time but it was nothing compared to what we have now what we have then I'm you know I'm, a, I'm nostalgic for it for what we had back then at least we had options to do things and it didn't seem as as vicious
1: as it does now I know I know I mean what we're gonna do today is basically reflect on the alternative media the alternative scene and how that has kind of evolved and or maybe devolved over the last ten years, but no doubt I, I think we'll end up reaching back beyond 2012 with some reflections. About, I think that's inevitable. One thing I wanted to ask you personally, actually, was when and why? Because you you were one of my early guests, Legalized Freedom, okay, and you were it was somebody that when I read your book. Your, your, you know, your your material on uh, psychopathy, it was obvious I had to speak to you. But when and why did you first go public, you know, with your thoughts and reflections on, on the world and what was, what's happening to our species? You know, what was it that that you felt? Because I have a very clear story about this. Why did you feel that you had to, you know, go public, basically, and say, look, this is what I think?
0: Well, I, I've been always feeling this way going back right back to the 90s you know, never, I don't think I never didn't feel this way about it, and I can even remember back in the day reading Hackers fanzines and other alternative underground fanzines and listening to people like Lyndon Marouche, and there was very little on, you'd have like public access TV in America where I lived at the time, and you'd have sort of strange programming that move between sort of conspiratorial stuff and 14th stuff and hacking and this the old hacking, the phone hacking thing. And these were a kind of a scene that existed, but I wasn't really part of it. I spoke to some of the hacking guys that met them through the kind of alt scene in New York, which by that time I was very much not really involved in. So there was nothing really out there, and when I came back and I was living here a while, I stumbled across, across on YouTube. Well, when YouTube first started, it was absolutely loaded with conspiracy theories, videos, and conspiracy ter- theory topics and alt topics. I remember, like Alex Jones kind of owned alt uh, YouTube when it first started. He was everywhere and getting phenomenal views, and I can remember. This one video called, the guy was called Nuff Said, and it was it came out about 2006, 2007 on YouTube. And it was called Conspiratus Satanicus, or something like that. And it was like a seven-part thing. Of course, it was all pulled down eventually, because it was all copyright material when Google took over. But the guy had stitched together a lot of the things that I was really into in a very a very artistic and interesting format using music. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, there's something here. This is this is something new and I'd like to be a part of this kind of filmmaking slash information sharing. And I didn't really know how to do it because I you know, had Windows, Movie Maker, basically and I made a very early film kind of drama, which sadly has been lost, on the Mothman sightings, in which I did arty effects and tied in the CIA MK Ultra stuff. And it was only about 20 minutes long, but it looked really cool, and I had music that I did myself. And that's when I thought there's a future in this kind of world, not just from a geopolitical conspiracy and 40 and type way of looking at it. But there's also room for the artist, there's room for the filmmaker. And I have to say that enough said conspirator Satanicus was absolutely fantastic at the time. And there was some other guys. There was a guy, a black dude in America, used to make these short videos. They were always in black and white in slow motion. And he was things that I'd never really heard about, like the conspiracies surrounding the music industry and things like that and it was they were just so cool and I think it was just I want to be part of this world I want to be there somehow but I don't have the technical abilities to make films so what I can do is I can make YouTube videos talking about psychopathy that i learned about this stuff over the years and relate and then there's other subjects as well I spoke about and I haven't really wavered much and my first video on UFOs was that it was nothing to do with aliens as far as i was concerned it was to do with some kind of connection to the subconscious mind but they do exist and things like that i remember did a very early video on the fibonacci sequence before a lot of other people and that's how it really started for me that's how i dipped in but i have to say the stuff that got me in the door wasn't so much like the bread and butter straightforward stuff like your self-interview shows and red ice and Ink or crane, things like that were the time were really big. It was for me it was very much the more arty end of it and some of the stuff that was down on there was a guy called Lennon Honor, another guy in America who did some good work at the time. And this was very early YouTube and that was a huge it opened up a world for me that I wanted to be a part of. I felt that this was going to be something colossal and it is in many ways.
1: Yeah, for me the the going public with it in 2012 was really a culmination not culmination but a step I suppose on a journey that began you know back in the 1980s and I we're of a similar kind of age and I don't know if you had this but I had this sense from when I was a child I mean going back I can remember a certain moment when I looked at I, w- I was in a social situation, you know, family situation with a mixture of uh, adults and children, and I looked at the adults in the group and thought there's something wrong with this picture. And I- I'd always thought there was something wrong with the world. I don't mean that that that, that it's um that, you know that the, the earth or uh incarnating on this plane as a human is bad, but there was something that we were failing to grasp or understand. And when, in the 1980s, I began to read about uh you know the the moon missions uh questions around that uh alien life UFOs uh what hap- what really happened with j f k we you know was it was the story always just as straight as it's presented that was something i think that probably eventually. Led to me just you know having this in in internal dialogue that I thought I can't do this anymore that um there's something I want to share with people here, so I don't know in in your case uh when you were younger uh wh- you know if you had that sense of like you know what what I'm being told it isn't um all that there is or there there's there, I've got questions here that are I'm not being given the answers to. Uh, I'm not satisfied with the world as it's been presented to me. I don't know if you had that experience, but for me it was very, very profound and it happened maybe age six or seven.
0: Yeah, I was the same. Exactly the same. But the thing was with me was I can remember reading those Eric von Daniken books and those Chariot of the Gods and all that quite when they came out as very, very young and uh, UFO books and Dennis Wheatley novels and books on magic and stuff so to me there was the kind of high strangeness of the paranormal mysteries fortian world and then when i grew older i instinctively knew that the political system or the socioeconomic or the real world stuff was also its own kind of high strangeness but i never saw the two things as being one you have the social, social, cultural, economic, political high strangeness on one end of the spectrum, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you had the paranormal, the 40 and stuff. All that stuff was on that side. But what happened was, and back to the early days of this scene growing, is that people started to measure, merge them together. First, David Dyke. Now he went in there with the whole reptilians thing, which that was his thing. That's okay. That was the way, That's the way he did it. But it would have been the way I did it. But that's okay. We all do our own different things. But he was touching on something that I think yourself and myself instinctually knew, but either didn't go there or couldn't put. Didn't have the, the language to describe it. That behind all the political stuff, all the socioeconomic stuff, all the 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 religious ideologues, orthodoxies and everything was something that was somehow related to the forty and, and the paranormal stuff. Therefore, ultimately I started to feel by the uh, soon after soon after nine eleven, very strongly, two thousand and two, two thousand and three, that we lived in a world that wasn't controlled by the same people we are. And it was more than just the psychopath stuff. It was beyond that. I knew about that stuff. That was already there. That's already well known. But it was beyond it was something more. There was a spiritual crisis. And it was this active scene, this alternative media scene, based around the internet, that fused the two things together. Often clumsily, often unfortunately through a kind of a Judeo-Christian mindset, biblical apocalyptic mindset but nonetheless brought the two of them together. And I have to say, it was a, that was the real, that was, you know, the initial ones were small revelations, but that was the like, yes, that's it. There's something like that going on.
1: Yeah. That's a very uh, important insight, actually, you know, connecting those two worlds, because I think that they were deliberately set apart, you know, portrayed this is one thing, this is another. And, uh, I think that, the, you know, when that, when that, when that insight happened, you know, when you had that moment of revelation, which I had as well, that, that, that changed everything really. And, you know, 9-11 was an incredibly important turning point, I think, in, in evolution of human consciousness. And I've spoken about this many, many times. And because I, I, I think of myself, my, my mindset, my worldview prior to 9-11 and, you know i i kind of imagined myself as somehow uh complete in terms of consciousness at that point, but when I look back now, I realize that something something shifted there's there's no doubt about it, and it doesn't actually matter what you think about the events of nine eleven that that's kind of neither here nor there to be honest um but something definitely shifted and when During my recent um interview with Andy Thomas, a uh, British author, he was one of my very, very early guests on legalizedfreedom.com. Uh, I did an interview with him around 2012, uh, you know, because it was kind of like, and I said to him, well, didn't the whole thing turn out to be a damp squib? And he said, well, yes and no. But he felt that something definitely shifted in human consciousness around 2012. And I think that if you go back to... 2001, and the events of 9-11, you could say the same thing. So these are what I call temporal markers in where human consciousness is going. Yeah, Andy Thomas is right. There's a big
0: yes and no, but the yes is pretty profound. The yes part of that. I think that 9-11 literally disrupted the fabric of reality that not only, you know, yeah, human consciousness ultimately is created to, connected to that, but it ruptured, it absolutely ruptured the fabric of reality. And again, I, this is no, I think it's no coincidence that the all scene came along to fuse all these together. You know, you think on one end of the spectrum, people will be saying things like, well, the, the socio-economic system is evil. Here's the reason why we have Bilderberg's, we have the Trade Africa Commission and all that other stuff, more esoteric Illuminati, Illuminati things coming out. At the same time, you would have other people saying, "Oh, it's just devils and demons and reptilians are behind it all, and shapeshifters and all this stuff." And then you have them. If you consider them the kind of bricks of the of the actual developing alt media. Then you have people in the middle, like I guess like Anthony Peek, who is delving into things like the the mysteries of the mind and quantum physics he was like the mortar people like him were the mortar that glued the stuff together and yeah i think things i think things changed much more for the yes than maybe i definitely believe that we're living in a different reality and i i know for a fact that when I, even when i look back at photographs that i have or pick things before even artwork everything before 911 it's all different. It's like even the colours seem different. Reality has been fundamentally changed and we couldn't have got gotten through or been subject to, I mean, the last two years, the last two and a bit years of the, the lockdowns and all the other stuff that went down if it hadn't have been for nine eleven. Nine eleven fractured reality to such a degree that the controllers were then in a the position to actually impose these things, knowing that humanity was melting away in some ways. As Alan Moore says, humanity is turning to steam. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think that's why, as time has progressed since that moment to now, people like us are incredibly alienated from mainstream society. As You know, we take part in it, we we have to work in it, we have to exist in it. But when we see things like people wearing masks still in cars and how they got away with all that nonsense so easily, that could have only happened if the human consciousness, the collective consciousness had been turned to some kind of miasma that had no specific focus anymore and only responded to external triggers to the degree it does. It's like beyond Milgram experiment or beyond Pavlovian conditioning, it was like a spiritual fracture that took place in consciousness and they they filled it in with what they wanted
1: them. Yeah, for me 9-11 uh, looking back was like some kind of test Remember a uh, catchphrase with Roy Walker say what you see, you know <laughs> And for me See what you say, see what you say. Yeah, yeah, yeah for, for me. So when I look back on that when I when I, I remember clearly because I was there uh, Watching those I mean it was after the fact because by the time I remember the day clearly but by the time I turned on the TV, it was all over, you know. So what I was watching was replays. And, um, I looked at the, what was happening to towers. And I, I'd, I'd watched enough programs on TV about sort of architecture and demolitions. And I just, well, that's controlled demolition. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. It's a controlled demolition. Simple as that. And I'd been and seen a few of these things, you know, actually happening. Because yeah, sometimes they'd advertise them, you know, at the, recently here, actually, in North Yorkshire, they've taken down some of the cooling towers at some of the old-fashioned, uh, power stations, you know, coal burning. And, uh, people were, you know, it's so like a day out. Go and watch the cooling towers come down. Boom. Explosives. They fall on their own footprint in less than 10 seconds. So how the fuck did, did those towers come down like that in their own footprint in that amount in seconds? if it wasn't controlled. So that's, you know, I just, for me, it was obvious. No problem there at all. But there seemed to be something that happened in hoodwinking people, you know, uh, in saying that what you see, what you saw is not what happened. And uh, we could, as you mentioned, we, we saw this particularly in the last couple of years. There's a reality in front of your eyes the, your five senses are telling you something you are wrong and that has a very undermining effect on people's minds i think on their own sense of reality and and to the extent which they can trust their own senses and i've said many times look in the last couple of years throughout this pandemic thing if i was going only on the evidence of my own five senses, then there there was no pandemic as such. I I, I can't see one. Now, I understand that at the height of it, I wasn't able to go, tour around hospitals. I wasn't able to travel extensively. I wasn't able to have the full spectrum of experience I would otherwise have had. But, you know, based solely on my own sensory input, uh, nothing actually happened. So to sum up, I just think that, playing with people's minds and their uh, their own trust in uh, their perception that that has an enormous effect going forward then on what how people perceive the next event or, or, or the next non-event
0: yeah I mean being the person I am I was less interested in the actual falling of the buildings although it was all very dodgy to me at the time but the, like the inner Fred Divna in me said, that looks like it was taken down. At the same time, too, it's funny that Fred Divna dies around the same time. I remember, I think that was the very first conspiracy theory I ever ca- I ever came up with or taught about, or some, maybe someone else had mentioned it around nine eleven. Was that Fred Divna, who could have been all over the TV saying, "No way was that taken down by planes," and explaining why. And then suddenly, he dies, like around the same time, soon after, I believe. And on top of that, now what I, I'll always remember—the one thing. So to me, it was—I mean, instantaneously. I did a talk at one of the AVs a few years back, and I asked the people how many f- people in the audience were overcome by a sense of profound evil when nine eleven happened, and ninety nine percent of the audience put their hands up, and there was a sense of profound evil, and that was to me that evil, that sense of evil alone was enough to convince me. That this was a bigger picture than anything we were seeing, and I always remember, and I've always spoken about this. I was coming back home on the train, and all these people, and this is when they had, they still had the old carriages with the tables in the middle, and there were some people in front of me who were reading all the tab, all the tabloids and all the pictures of it, and on the cover of one of the, uh, one of the tabloids was the face, like a face of a demon or a devil, a simulacrum formed by the smoke and it was also filmed and that show I told you about Conspiratus Satanicus by Nuf said he actually included that scene and then somebody spoke talking about the concept of smoke demons, the smoke gins that appear in the smoke and take form. And I was looking at that thing and I was saying, is it that? Probably not. But why does our minds focus in on that not just us the the oddballs but also the mainstream photographers yeah yeah it sells newspapers yeah it looks it looks cool on the front of a newspaper tabloid but there's also that we connect with that we hook into that because we subconsciously know by finding that one particular simulacrum that devilcraft was involved and i think like in a metaphoric sense uh, you know, that the evil uh, you know, is the, the full term in the French, was present and I think that was a huge part of how this scene developed is that it functioned very powerfully on intuition and noetics, and I think that's what made us defeat or not defeat, I should say avoid being smothered out by the mainstream, the fact that so many people were going along and would alt media due to hunches intuitions noetics feelings and insights of something not completely right with the world and i think that was the the fuel that drove shows like your own and others this this notion that like it's it's not just a sense that something isn't wrong it's really really wrong and i could feel it really really wrong and i want answers
1: It's interesting to think about, um, now, obviously, when 9-11 happened, uh, 2001, the internet was already quite well developed. But, um, actually, you know, I work with a lot of young people, um, who are actually weren't, were born around that time or not even born then. And they, they find my reflections on it to be, uh, fascinating and or disturbing. But it's interesting, uh, you know, how the internet has developed during that time and and what the internet was prior to that and when 9/11 came along I mean I did have the internet at home but there wasn't a sudden eruption as far as I remember of thoughts about what had just happened in in that uh, in that media domain and one thing that I find particularly fascinating is thinking about alt media as it was prior to the internet, uh, you mentioned Lyndon LaRouche. I remember him always ragging on the British. It was always every pre- presentation you ever listened to from Lyndon LaRouche was like, the British, the British are behind this, that, and the other thing. You know, how things, you look back now, and I think the internet has has thrown up a lot of material from, you know, historical mater- material from uh, the pre-internet days, which is really interesting to reflect on. But how that, I don't know if you remember these things at the time, But you mentioned Dan Brown in one of our offline conversations, you know, his most famous for his 2003 book, The Da Vinci Code. But like things for me that were pivotal, uh, like the Holy Blood and the Holy Grail, the 1982 book, uh, the Templar Revelation in 1997, and, uh, you know, the the book None Dare Call It Conspiracy, all of these things that were around prior to, you know, the, the mid to late 90s, uh, establishment of the internet I think a lot of people associate conspiracy theory with the internet is what I guess what I'm driving at and there was all this material prior to that and the, engaging in that world was such a different experience back then
0: absolutely in fact the whole nine eleven thing didn't really take off in the conspiratorial sense until about 2006-2007 it, I could remember there was very little of it on the internet and things like Usenet and stuff like that. No, when there was anything conspiratorial, it was usually like in white nationalist or neo-Nazi groups blaming you know certain certain groups for it, not the not the one that's commonly associated with it. But um, the previous thing was not the same though. It was kind of it was just an, a fleeting interest. It was very politically driven, very politically orientated. It was never, it never meshed, got beyond, like you said, historical stuff or politics or anything like that. It was the visual imagery on the internet that was the catalyst that really got things going. It's one thing to hear the words. It's one thing to watch a lecture. But when someone can edit a piece of video, add a piece of music or convey it in a certain way, it, Almost as like a fertilizer of the consciousness, and then begins the this more spectacular dialogue, and that's why I think it didn't really kick off on the internet until you know just the cusp, the start of YouTube, because then people could, rather than saying something, could point to something, could show videos, could 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 talk about things like this, and it, it wasn't only. Just 9-11 and that kind of stuff. It was things like health. You had remember, L- Leonard Horowitz talking about a lot of stuff we hear about you now, but the, the, the needle craft and stuff like that. He was talking about way back then. I do not say he was always right, but it was, it was a door that was opening to a Pandora's box. It was all kinds of things. It was all kinds of alternative thinking that was way outside anything the, the mainstream covered. And it be- and it happened at the same time that mainstream television was becoming more and more appalling. It was as if our psychic attenu- attenuation was then trimmed towards what alt media was doing, and and because we could focus on individual topics or particular kinds of shows, it like really would f- it really flourished these things into a new dimension.
1: Well, you mentioned Leonard Horowitz, who actually. I'd forgotten about until <laughs> until you just mentioned. Um, again, prior to this conversation, we were talking about Alan Watt, who passed away not that long ago, and uh, you you did a very nice tribute on your channel, you know, just reflecting on his life and work. And um, you, know, we think even if we talked about David Ike, who let's face it, got his start, um, around, you know, like eighty nine. Uh, people think of like Ike as a sort of post nine eleven figure, uh, but he's really not. And, um, it's so interesting to me because, you know, for, for me, Alan Watt was, was, was an early experience of a, you know, a different way of looking at the world. And it's so interesting to look at, um, and listen to the thoughts of these people, whether they're still around or not, going back to, uh, pre internet times. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area. At legalizefreedom.com. legalize
0: freedom dot com. Legalize freedom dot com